The show that doesn't grab them by the but does occasionally kick them in the ball. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. Welcome to it. If you do not know what this show is about, strap yourself in, kiddies. We have got a lot of stuff to run through, including headlines like Giuliani is at it again, muddy in the waters, Trump is out there just basically writing his own ticket to jail, and... At the whole time, the government is still shut down. Before we get to all of that, well, a brief introduction or two is in line. First off, me, your host. My name, Shaggy Jenkins. Uh, you, you can find me at my website, shaggyjenkins.com, or wherever fine social media is served, at Shaggy Live. The guy that joins me around this time every week has been known to be in the political circuit himself. Now is the one that they call the professor please welcome from west texas himself ladies and gentlemen drew landry hey everybody thank you for letting me be here shaggy good to be back again okay so we have got to start off with the most fun story that you can start off with on the beginning of the week which is rudy giuliani because look Every single time that we bring up this guy's name, it's usually in some sort of context of, oh my God, what did he do now? And and this latest little romp through NBC's Meet the Press has everybody scratching their head going, exactly what is the strategy for the chief defense attorney for Donald Trump? Drew, you, you want to make a guess? Well... I have many guesses, but, you know, the former mayor of New York who rose to prominence after 9-11, who ran for president in 2008, ran for president in 2012, um, you know, is a big fan of, of, of President Trump. You know, this is a guy who has a terrible, terrible case of foot and mouth syndrome. And here we are again talking about something dumb that he has said. And, you know, he's gone on the record. You can go back and look at all the quotes that he said about how the president and his campaign had no collusion whatsoever with Russia or Russian agents or any of those things. He said it several times. It's been played back several times. I mean, I, just countless and countless times. Even the president has said nothing with me or my campaign. It's always been that. And then he goes on the media just this past week and says, you know, the president didn't have anything to do with with it. It, it, I don't know if anyone else in the the campaign had anything to do with it. They may have, but it wasn't it was never Trump. And you're like, well, wait a minute here. That is so completely different than what you've been saying here for the past year and a half. Okay, I'm just going to throw this out here. Didn't it come across as him saying, "Okay, look, you got us. Everybody colluded with Russia. But not Trump. It's that's kind of how the feeling goes. It's just, you know, he keeps moving the goalposts every single time. Whenever you're about to make a 25 yard field goal, he now moves it back another 20 yards and says, well, now it's a little different now. It wasn't just, you know, it, anybody. It, 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 it might have been the campaign, but it wasn't the president. It was never Trump. And then he goes on the, the media today and says, who, you know, if Michael Cohen and Trump talked before he testified, so what? What's the big deal about that? 
that's quite the big deal. And for somebody who made his self known as a federal prosecutor, who made his case known for putting away mobsters in New York and New York City, he should know that this is a big deal. And for him to downplay this is just incredibly, incredibly bad. I find it funny that that, that Rudy Giuliani, who, let's just be honest, reshaped downtown uh, New York when he kicked out all the strip joints and stuff that Howard Stern made his fame off interviewing the dancers from. Um, I mean, this guy has is, is, is always had kind of a more Puritan, um, a holier-than-thou almost concept of, of, of politics. But has... Rudy Giuliani and Drew, this 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 might be the weirdest question I've ever asked you on this show, and <laughs> I've asked you some strange stuff. Um, does Rudy Giuliani accept Donald Trump as his Lord and Savior? Because he, he he almost has this way of decrying him as infallible when Mueller's investigation proves time and time again links to him being. Most definitely fallible. It it seems as though he's taking up uh, this defense that is, I'm with Trump and that's it. And it doesn't matter what anyone else says. He's the one. He's, he's the shining light. And um, I think federal prosecutor, prosecutor of New York, bad guys, Giuliani, would be just carving up. Uh, the personal lawyer of the president, Giuliani, at this particular moment. And that's what's really sad is that, you know, is you see this complete duopoly here between these two characters. And it's like, really? Really, Mayor? Is this really what's going on? Well, really? You know, <clears throat> chief defense attorney for Donald Trump this weekend went like one step further because, like, okay. So before it was nobody colluded, then it was everybody but Trump colluded, then this is the latest kind of bombshell to drop on everybody. It was, hey, you know that whole thing that Donald Trump said that Michael Cohen did but didn't do? Well, he did it. He did it all the way up until Donald Trump was elected president. But, you know, it's not really illegal. True thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, look, uh, that, again, this has been the constant uh, defense. It may have been somebody else, not my guy. It's okay. Collusion isn't illegal. I mean, we've heard all these arguments that have just, that they've been throwing out against the wall to see what sticks. And, you know, just whenever everybody was kind of falling asleep on the whole Russia thing, here comes Giuliani and just bursts it wide open because, you know, the president's been saying this is a witch hunt. And he's been saying it for a long, long time. He's, he's called them the 12 angry Democrats like they're the 12 dwarfs of Snow White. But the truth of the matter is this isn't a witch hunt. And Giuliani has proved that just by saying maybe other people in the campaigns colluded, not Trump. And then the Michael Cohen stuff comes out. And then it's like, well, who cares if they really talk before he went to it? So it's 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 a constant. Hey, it's OK if if Trump did it. But if it was Bill Clinton, if it was Hillary Clinton, if it was something with Hillary Clinton's emails, if this was Bernie Sanders or, or anybody not named Donald Trump in politics, this would be a big problem. 
that's the part that really kind of bothers me because this is the thing. The we, we talked about goalposts moving, alibis. Let, let's just look at this from an, a, a puerile legal judicial sense. This is not a goalpost moving. This is once again Rudy Giuliani this weekend moving the alibi from where it was established through Donald Trump's tweets, through public statements before, now to this new mark. And and the problem is, <clears throat> you like football, and everybody knows this, there's only so much damned field you go before touchdown. And, and the more that Giuliani keeps moving this goalpost, it's not moving it away from the the, the, the the goal line that they need to go to, it's moving it more towards Robert Mueller's camp. With this latest yeah. statement, how close to the goal line are we till touchdown? You know, that's been the ongoing question. You know, how close are we going to get and how close are we now? You have to feel like that we're in the red zone. And for those who have no idea about football or not getting any of this analogy, the red zone quote-unquote red zone is where you're in the 20-yard line to the uh, end zone. You're 20 yards in and closer. So you're you're very, very close. You're within striking distance. And a lot of the, of the president's supporters and defenders have said, this has gone on too long. He's been on this thing for since 2017. Well, yeah, he has. And this has gone, you know, for about a year and a half or so, close to, to two years. But if you remember, whenever President Clinton was being you know, uh, um, investigated for the Whitewater uh, ongoings that took place in Arkansas, mm-hmm. and then they stumble upon what happened with him and you know this intern, Monica Lewinsky, that was four or five years that we were talking about here. And then, boom. So, and let's not forget about the Benghazi investigation that Congress kept investigating and investigating and investigating uh, close to eight times and spending a lot of money. And that was okay because it was President Trump and his supporters and defenders' enemies mm-hmm. and opponents. Whereas since this is on him, it's a whole different ballgame, whole different thing. This is taking too long. Um well, to, to quote one lawyer named Ken Starr, he said, lawyers have to be thorough and they have to do a very thorough job. Well, nobody knows that more than Robert Mueller. And it's not like he's some secret closeted Democrat. This is a man who's been part of the Republican Party for a very long time. And he's the special prosecutor. He's doing all this investigations and he's made indictments. There are people going to jail. I mean, this isn't something that is small time. This is a big deal. And the closer that you get to all these agreements and these plea bargains and all these things, the closer you're getting to the to, to the end zone, and that's to bring out a, a charge of impeachment against the president. Now, that's a very long-winded answer to your very small, uh, short question there, so I apologize for that. But no, in no, short, no. we're it's, very close. Yeah, it's, it's, it's okay <laughs> because, see, look, I, I I admire a certain show from my youth called Matlock, and, and <laughs> when, when we talk about the Matlock moments of this, Robert Mueller is getting very close to putting his hand up under his lily, well, white linen suit with his 
black boa ties sometimes. Okay, boa ties went out in the 18th century. Why did Southern people still wear them in the 1980s? Okay, yeah. but but you know, point you know, point being is that we're almost at the point of the Matlock show where the hand goes into the jacket and then the secret diary or secret envelope or the the missing link evidence comes out of Moeller's pocket because I am just going to to kind of change the the, the, the way that the normal media has been looking at this and, and let's talk about the criminal side of it because Drew, I'm gonna put you in the role of Donald Trump. Oh boy. I do a pretty good impression. Oh, okay. Let's get, give us a little. <laughs> Listen here, okay, Mr. Shaggy. I don't know who you are, but I've met you several times, and I forget you all the time. But I've been to Hawaii several times. I, ha- I own many properties. As a matter of fact, I own the entire island, but I've never been there, okay? Totally fake place. I made it up. I bought it on my own. Totally me. Love the. I love it all. Not as good as Florida. I know Mara El Lago. I go there a lot, okay? <laughs> know a lot of people in those places do a very good jobs there. A lot of good jobs we had in Hawaii. I know that because I created all of them, okay? Lots of golf courses there. It's very my place. I knew it. Lots of good things. There's, you know, I just gotta say this from the the, the <laughs> part of my 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 poor Hawaiian wife, who is probably when she listens to this broadcast weeping openly for her people. <laughs> you know, if any if any cracker if any haole uh, uh, was to ever claim that they're the ones that pulled the 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 islands from the sea i'm like clearly you did not watch moana well let me tell you about a movie that i did watch called lilo and stitch (laughs) my favorite hawaiian in the world is lilo great great person all right she's now one of my big lawyers here in the white house she works in here very cartoon character that has a great personality lots of great things to say i don't allow that little alien to come along here either no more six two sixes go away Illegal. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. So if you are in the role of Donald Trump, and I am going to put myself in the despicable role of being Rudy Giuliani, okay, here it is. I have went on the news, and at this point of my defense career with you, I have moved the goalpost some five times on Sunday panel shows. I have, um, for all intents and purposes, changed your alibi about six or seven times. And every single time that I go and plead a new public case for your innocence, I'm actually admitting to more guilt. If you're Donald Trump and I'm Rudy Giuliani, at what point do you go, stop helping me? <laughs> uh, if I'm the president, I, I say, no, I, you, keep, you keep doing that because it's making you look bad and it's not making me look bad at all. I'll, I'll, all I could do if it gets too bad, I just say, you're fired and then uh, I can just, just put you, I can just squash you. And say you did a terrible job. He's an awful person. I mean, that's what he's done to all those people who's worked inside the White House. His first secretary of state, Rex Tillerson, called him he's uh, uh, dumb as a box of rocks. This is a CEO of Mobile Exxon. Okay, I you know I'm not too big on those at the top, but those but they're not stupid, and they don't have a box of rocks for brains. So let's just get something straight about that. You know, he's you know, he made a big deal about the uh, Omarosa. 
and and you know said how she was you know gone you know glad she's gone and all this stuff. I mean, he really just squashes people. And and if he feels like that, you know what, it's time to squash Rudy, he'll squash Giuliani, and that's just his his mentality about it. This is the thing that kind of gets me about the curious case of the Trump administration at this point, because a lot mm-hmm. of mainstream media loves comparing Donald Trump's presidency to Richard Nixon's timeline. Now, we, mm-hmm. we have to have a quintessential understanding that whatever the controversy was that started Watergate was far, far removed and only involving domestic assets, people, and places mm-hmm. way, way different in the long run than, than we can truthfully, honestly say about whatever we're going to call Russia-Trump thing. Okay? Yeah. But when, yeah. when history looks back, and, and this is the part that I've got to kind of scratch my head and go, wow, if you really look at what happened into the last days of the Nixonian president administration, you, Drew, you kind of noticed that the president was a little spinny, out of control especially when it came to things like his public defense of his own actions. So mm-hmm. I know it's very hard to compare the reality star of Donald Trump to the very Button down, a uh, guy that gave the speech called Checkers after a dog and won public appeal from mm-hmm. politician of Richard Nixon. Even even understanding the fundamental difference of these two presidents, this point of the timeline is kind of crucial in Mueller's investigation, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, there are great parallels to make here, and it seems like any time that a president is in trouble. In something like this, because we did the same thing with to to Bill Clinton uh, during his impeachment process, and the parallels were being made there. Um, the thing about the Nixon Trump comparison is the ongoing congressional investigation and the constant attacks that both have made on the media and their enemies and and the other things that that you have have mentioned. Um, we we have to remember just a little bit here is that Nixon was an incredibly paranoid guy, and you know he went to his dying day thinking that Kennedy somehow stole that election in 1960, and so at the end of his first term, Nixon was a fairly you know popular president. He didn't need to do those things that he did. I mean, in in his reelection in '72, he won 49 states, first president to ever do that. So there was no need for him, but he he just couldn't get it out of his head. And so he had to know what McGovern was doing. Whereas, you know, Trump here, you see that you 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 see this type of I want loyalty. Be loyal to me. Um, Nixon was an elected official. He was a former vice president. He didn't, he understood aspects of the law. I don't think he really liked it. No, I think that's kind of how we are here with, with Trump. He knows there's this thing called the constitution. He knows there's this thing called laws. I don't think he really wants to pay attention to it and say, I shouldn't have a lot of rain in whatever I do since I'm the president, nothing is illegal that I can do. That was the Nixon mentality. That's this is Trump's mentality. If I do it, it's legal. 
Well, and that's a very warped idea. That is a theory out there, um, but it's warped and it's not entirely correct. <laughs> but I, I think we could yeah. sum up all of Trump's administration as not entirely correct at this yeah. point. <laughs> so I don't, you know, you know, you know, as as we're gearing up here for the 2020, you know, presidential election, which. It's January of 2019. We just finished an election just a couple, just, just about a month and a half ago. But you know, we got people on the Democratic side announcing they're going to run for president. They're going to try to get as much money as Trump has. They're going to do what they can to campaign finance and get out there and become household names in Iowa, New Hampshire, and all these other places. Well uh, ahead of the Iowa caucus and the New Hampshire primary, so. What I'm getting at here is that he's going to be one of the main focuses of of the uh, of this campaign, as that is for every president. But they're going to focus more on illegal activity and the Mueller investigation, and they're going to campaign on that in the swing states of Florida and Ohio and Michigan and all those other types of places that voted for him in 2016, but may have felt but betrayed. So what I'm saying here is this is this is going to turn into a campaign issue. I I, I, and, I was about to say it sounds like yeah. you're campaigning again. Jeez, Drew. <laughs> no. I no. mean, where do I vote for you at this point? <laughs> preach, brother, preach. Oh, oh, oh goodness. Um but <laughs> so that's kind of what's going to happen here, you know, and the president's been pretty good at labeling people and diminishing them. I mean, Elizabeth Warren's going out there. He calls her Pocahontas. Um, and, you know, he doesn't know quite how to take some of the others, but he'll come up with some sort of name about them. That's just where we are. I mean, he's made divisive politics rather, I don't know, fun? I, well, maybe he's that's the wrong word to use. The, the main kind of power tool in his arsenal. And, and, yeah. and, this there is the thing that, that, that kind of bothers you about this whole scenario, because when we're, when we're talking about mainstream media coverage of Donald Trump and once again, reverting back to what we was trying to compare it to the Nixonian presidency, Nixon did towards the 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 end of the investigation that led to his resignation start to publicly through printed media decry the accusations and he did it in, right. in, in in much the same methodology of Donald Trump when it came to the allegations and to the possible ramifications of Watergate we're talking hush money we're talking witness intimidation we're talking mm -hmm. uh, public statements made to the yep. contrary of what has been released as published fact from the judicial investigation so That's right. As, as long as we're trying to compare timelines here, we're at the point where Donald Trump and Richard Nixon started to kind of unravel the facade of coolness. Now, Nixon, like we have pointed out before, was a very seasoned politician who knew how to reserve, even though we got the tapes later that said, oh boy, he talked a lot of stuff behind the scenes. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, Richard Nixon was very reserved in the public eye, and it took him longer to quote-unquote spin out. Donald Trump, not known for being able to maintain his temper, 
maintain a poker right. face or even maintain some sort of decorum of presidency. Uh, Drew, do you yeah. think that the timelines are going to match up or are we going to see an exponential decline under Trump? You know, um, man, I wish I had a good answer to that. I think what this is going to come down to is if 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 Mueller and his investigation doesn't make the case for impeachment before the 2020 election season gears up, um, this is going to be constant campaign fodder in 2020. And, you know, I hate to say this, but you have to give credit where it's due. You know, Trump has smart people around him and doesn't always listen to him, but um, he's got some interesting campaign people who can give him advice on how to deflect this. And this is kind of, you know, because we have to remember that the Watergate came after Nixon's reelection, didn't come into a first term, you know, like like we're finding here with with Trump. So um, I wish I had a really good answer to that. But I, I, I think the quarterback, again, to carry on with this <laughs> uh, analogy, football analogy of football, uh, you know, the big thing we're going to look at here is is Robert Mueller and his investigation as to how the, how this turns out and what we find and what his charge will be. And since the House of Representatives has changed hands uh, from Republican to uh, Democratic, they if if there's enough compelling evidence, they might bring out articles of impeachment if if they feel that the Mueller investigation has been that solid. And that's the thing, too, because though he was in a Republican-controlled Congress at the time, when enough of those Republicans started to switch over to the side of doubt, that's when Watergate started to exponentially lead to the resignation of the presidency. That's right. So keep in mind, with the quote-unquote blue wave that happened in the midterms, because the House actually flipped control, this could— with as many representatives that have claimed they cannot wait to use their subpoena power, be very exponentially faster. Uh, Drew, we got to take a break. Look, when we come back, it's going to be two white guys judging other white people for their really white actions. Find out what all the cracker action is about when we get back. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show. This is Scientific American's 60-Second Science. I'm Christopher Intagliata. Leonardo da Vinci's most famous painting also has an optical illusion named for it, the Mona Lisa effect. It's the feeling that the subject of a painting is following you with her gaze. You continuously feel being looked at despite moving to the left or moving to the right, perhaps even rotating the picture. Sebastian Loth is a psychologist at the University of Bielefeld in Germany, And while he doesn't dispute that the illusion itself exists, you've probably also seen it in the Uncle Sam Army recruitment poster, he says there's a problem with the phenomenon's name. 
I can show you so and so many papers um, where people have literally started their introduction with we all know that Mona Lisa looks at you and so on and so forth and then they would go into their argument, whatever it is. But actually, she, the specific picture, doesn't look at you. He and his colleague Gernot Horstman conducted a scientific investigation of this claim by sitting 24 volunteers in front of a computer screen which displayed various magnifications of the Mona Lisa. They placed rulers at two distances between the subjects and the screen and then asked the subjects to indicate where on the rulers the Mona Lisa's gaze intersected. And then you can compute a line, that's basically school mathematics here, and then you can figure out the angle. What came out was 15 degrees to the right. So the Mona Lisa actually stares over the viewer's right shoulder, he says, not straight out of the canvas, the key to creating her namesake illusion. The write-up is in the journal Eye Perception. Loth says effects like these can have modern implications too. For example, when building virtual assistants on computers, which might need to speak to and make eye contact with more than one person in a room. As for da Vinci's masterpiece, there's still another illusion that remains. The mysterious ambiguity of the Mona Lisa's smile. Thanks for listening. For Scientific American's 60 Second Science, I'm Christopher Intagliata. Hi, we're the Goo Goo Dolls. We're fortunate that we can give our daughters everything they need to grow and learn. But not every child can focus on classes and play dates. Nearly 13 million kids in the U.S. face hunger. That's one in six. School lunch might be their only meal each day. And it's heartbreaking to imagine any child going to bed hungry. We're dreaming of a perfect day when kids can smile, play, and just be kids without worrying about where their next meal will come from. Feeding America is working to make that perfect day a reality. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste. That food is given to families and children in need. Being a kid should be about doing things that make an ordinary day extraordinary. Learning to play an instrument, building a sandcastle, hosting tea parties. Hunger should never be an obstacle to growing up. You can help end childhood hunger in your community by visiting feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. More news, less alternative facts. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. Welcome back to it. Hey, if you've missed any part of the show, first off, I'm sorry. Second of all, you you probably should go check out our website, ShaggyJenkins.com, or wherever fine social media is served at Shaggy Live. Now, if you're on Spotify, just look for me, The Shaggy Jenkins Show, as well as Stitcher and iTunes. And, you know, I I don't want to sound like a modern-day radio Heidi Fleiss, but boy, do I get around. The, The gentleman joining me as my correspondent today is known for his upstanding citizenship because at one point he was going for a high elected office. Higher than I've ever been before, let me tell you that. Ladies and gentlemen, from the West Texas (laughs) District, instructor and former politician and all-around wise guy, please welcome Drew Landry. Hey, uh, good to be back again, Shaggy. Thanks. Oh, man, so we have so much to unpack with the story of, and and this is the thing, I, I 
thought that in modern times, racism against Native Americans was kind of hidden behind all the police officers killing black people, uh, the black women and the inequality and the institutionalized for prison profit system, or the fact mm -hmm. that the 13th Amendment is actually used to get slave labor by a lot of people. And if you don't believe that slave labor is still legal, read the 13th freaking Amendment. But <laughs> this story... This story grabs me in a really special place because we had a tribal elder from, and, and let's just go ahead and be honest, the people that owned this country before us crackers came along, um, a chief was doing an intertribal chant. And Drew, I'm going to let you take the story from there. Well... <laughs> Uh, you know, he's doing this intertribal chant around the Lincoln Memorial, and then uh, he's met with some resistance from um, at this March for Life rally, and then these uh, these uh, students from the state of Kentucky, uh, from a Catholic school, are surrounding him, and from the media that we look at, it looks as if they're mocking him with uh, the hats that say make America great again and they're in the red hat or in the white hat and it looks as though that the Native American is trying to move or trying to move forward or trying to find some escape route because a lot of these students are encompassing him and uh, people around and those who are who are with him so uh, the, but the photo that we get and the meme that has become is this smirking uh, student from this Catholic school with a Make America Great Again hat uh, standing in the way of the Native American um, beating on the drum and making in uh, this peaceful chant. And uh, those around this particular student are chanting back. So or making fun of them in some way. And that's the scene that is brought to us. And it's like, huh, really? Okay. This is yeah. where we are. This is, this is the part that really gets you, because at the heart of all of this issue is the fact that when you show up in front of a person that's Native American with a hat that says, Make America Great Again, and you white... That implies you're leaving. Yeah. Just, just throwing that out there. Because yeah. to them, make America great again is a very different statement. <laughs> just going to throw that out there. Yes, there are many con uh, connotations that one can take from this particular thing. Now, I do want to make mention that, there, that there's a, a story floating around the Internet suggesting that what has been reported has been taken out of a greater context. Um, the, uh, I think it's Reason has uh, stated that there's a two-and-a-half-hour video that you can watch, that there's another group taunting these students, and they're, they're kind of walking away, and then they run into this Native American and, and the others who are with them, and they don't know what's going on, and there's a mass confusion. And so in what this rather – and Reason is a right-wing publication. Let's just not make any bones about it. And so 
what they're suggesting is in this greater context, uh, there's confusion between the Native American and the students. And it's kind of like, well, is, is this Native American and the people around him with and going to help these students or what's, or what's going on? In my mind, I'm thinking there really should be no reason for the student to be in the way of anybody and the student need, and the whole group of students need to get out of their way. But, you know, uh, that's, that, that's kind of where we are with reporting and those who are buying into what reason has suggested is going back on their ongoing defense of the president and of make America great again. And of all those things suggesting that it's the mainstream media and they are fake and they are biased and all this and that. Yeah, and so I'm there's gonna, a bit of interesting things there. Yeah, I got to throw out this very interesting kind of scenario to you because if that that little <clears throat> reasoning, as it were, is indeed true, it's still wrong and it's still mm-hmm. BS. And this is why I'm going to say wrong and BS because these were two gangs of people in this story that were menacingly approaching each other. Had they been people of color, the tear gas and SWAT gear would have come out. But because they asses was lily white crackers, we let these menacing gangs confront each other. And at the heart of the matter, it is... Once again, white people getting away with stuff that other people would have already been thrown under the jail at. So Yeah, you're yeah, you're exactly right about that. Yeah. You are. And and that 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 hardly ever gets echoed around, you know. I mean that's that's just not the full part of, of the conversation. But yeah, you, you you hit the nail on the head on that one. And this is the thing that really should bother you from a uh <clears throat> Drew, me and you fancy ourselves some southern gentlemen, don't we? <laughs> You're like, not with an accent like Foghorn Leghorn, you weirdo. I say, boy. boy. I say, boy. I say, boy. We fancy ourselves the types that would wear bowler ties unironically. <laughs> but here's the point that I want to get. Because, okay, um, I have been studying a lot of genealogy lately and been studying kind of the patterns that established uh, people on planet Earth. And, And this is one of the most interesting little biological facts that we can acknowledge. The lighter or more transparent your skin are on the DNA evolutionary scale means you are among the youngest of the evolutions of Homo sapiens. That means that the darker the skin a person contains, the closer to the beginnings of Homo sapiens and life as we know it, their people came from. And that's Mm. something very beautiful when you think about it. The browner the skin, the closer you are to the beginning. And, And as such, from a genetic, from a biological standpoint, People like First Nation tribes of the North American continent and crackers like us from Europe, well, they're an older species of human than we are. And so, Drew, us being Southern gentlemen, how does this all connect? Because you were like, boy, Shaggy, you have went off the ledge here. Uh -uh -uh -uh." (laughs) Southern boys are always taught to respect 
the elders. And when it comes uh-huh. to First Nation peoples of the North American continent, they are biologically our elders. Why mm-hmm. is it that First Nation people, the, the, the Native Americans, as it were, as we identify them here in the United States, why is their struggle for acceptance and, let's just be honest, a little respect so damn hard? Oh, man, that's a... Wow, uh, that's a, uh, a an incredible question. Um, I think it has everything to do with the history of of this country and and the ongoing problems that have taken place since then. Um, since we since you know um, uh, the, uh, the the landing at Plymouth Rock and the landing at Jamestown and the and the landing at Roanoke and all of those particular things that I went backwards in chronological order, um, all of those particular aspects and then the, those things that, that came after that, I mean, these are, you know, it's, it's been a rocky relationship that the white man has won. And, that, I, mean, that's the, and I don't know how else to really say that. Um, you know, and that's just kind of where we are. Uh, you know, we, you know, we, have stated that we intend to, you know, in former in past treaties to give um, uh, land back and, and and to help. And I mean, it's a big celebration when there's two Native Americans who were elected to Congress, first time ever. Okay, that and the fact that we were celebrating that in 2018 and 2019, that should ring very big alarms and very red alerts that this is something that really, this is something that, that has just now happened. Um, that speaks volumes to the, to the ongoing difficult relationship that it's been taking place for a long, long time. So I don't, I didn't mean to go that back far on you on there, but, you but, know, but you know, I mean, but the, I'm not going to lie. There is a lot to unpack with a simple story like this, because here's the thing. Even when we were kids, even when I was a kid, my, 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 my lily white parents, actually one of them was darker. Okay. There is a lot to unpack <laughs> with what I've learned about my genetic history, Drew. But mm-hmm. when it comes to this whole thing that my parents were uh, talking about when I was a kid versus what parents talk about with their kids now. Anytime we went through the reservations of North Carolina, anytime that we went through tribal lands in North Carolina, we were always taught that these weren't Indians that drank the fire water and they were just loosey-goosey, the worst of civilization. No, we, 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 we were told, hey, these were the people that owned the state before you, and we mm-hmm. took everything from them, and then we fought a stupid war on all of their tribal lands, not once, but twice. Mm-hmm. So, be nice to the, and, and I hate to use this term, but they said reds when I was a kid, mm-hmm. you know, or <clears throat> like that team out of Washington. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But getting to the whole point of this matter, it does seem that the more we go in United States history, the longer that we go in American society, the less we acknowledge our brown indigenous roots, the people that actually established this territory before we just 
you know, crackers came in and took over like we usually do, acting like we own land and property and stuff and take your mm-hmm. beads. But, I mean, yeah. before the white man and I, I you know, <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen, please reflect on the moment of irony that's about to occur here. <laughs> the white man really ruined the North American continent. <laughs> I know I'm saying that as a cracker from North Kakalaka, but (laughs) hear me out. When it comes to celebrating First Nation traditions, Canada, Mexico, Brazil, Peru, I mean, you name the country that is still joined to us in landlocked continuity, um, they celebrate their First Nation establishments way more prominently than we do in the United States. We have denigrated indigenous Mm -hmm. people. I mean, we grew up with the term Indian giver. You know what that implies, don't you? Yep. It should have been cracker giver, because the white man is the one that promises you stuff and then takes it back. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the only part of the native or... Indian, that was a slang for some strange reason. Um, the only Their only role they have in it is of confusion, and yeah. that would be the honest truth. Yeah. However, this story kind of bothers me for one little specific reason, and it's because no matter where you go in the United States, crackers, white people, honkies as it were, you have <laughs> observed... Lots of indigenous people. And I don't say that as a guy that comes from the state or <clears throat> former colony of Caroline, North Carolina. I also say that as a person that comes from the 50th state here in Hawaii, where we didn't even give acceptance to their language or even recognize them through the Department of the Interior as indigenous people. Hawaiians are a lost American tribe. So... When, when we bring up all this disrespect that white culture has for these people, it, it kind of really sticks to you that if you're looking for a brighter tomorrow, if you were born as a First Nations person, it really kind of throws much further that dream of a better day when people actually accept you were here first. Yeah. So... Drew, I'm going to ask you a simple question. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah, I know. Here we go. Simple questions again. But this one is very, very simple. How do we teach people in the United States to respect First Nations or our elder people? Oh, boy. There's several ways to, to do this. I think it first starts in our schools. <clears throat> I mean, we have to... Uh, tell the, the the very difficult and long story of, of Western settlement and what was going on and um, and who was here when people landed in particular places and how that relationship became strained. Um, we have, for the most part, forgotten that. They have not. And uh, the, the natives have not forgotten it. Um, many people uh, in, the, in this country will forget the um, uh, Mexican-American uh, uh, War. Uh, 
Um, those in Mexico have not forgotten it. Uh, so I use that as an example for things that we as as a country, we as um, as a race of people have forgotten a lot of things that have happened over the course of our time on this land. And, and we need to really be reminded that, that even though I, you know, there were reasons for, for settlement, there's, you know, there's the often, um, um, you know, the statement that hearts are, are in the right place and minds are, are trying to be as pure as possible. Um, we need to really examine those particular things and say, you know, um, we need to have an honest discussion about what's happened and a very lengthy um, study on this and a discussion. We need to encourage this, this sort of thing. We need not to, I mean, we don't want to examine this and just be suddenly, you know, we feel terrible and all this and that. I mean, I think that's going to be an understood feeling. At least it should be. But we have to go into this with an open mind and an open heart and say, look, uh, this is something that is needs to be studied, and we have a lot of questions, and we don't ever want to forget this. I mean, that's one of the big lessons that we learned after World War II is never again, never forget, never do any of those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've forgotten some particular things of our own past, and we really need to examine that so that something that happened this past weekend doesn't happen again. Yeah, because right. this is the thing that should really bother with people. Uh, Utah used to be northern Mexico. Oh yeah, little little oh, yeah. little fact there for you to California, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, those oh Mexico. Um, the, when it came to the extension of where the colony of Caroline ended, yeah, that was actually helped uh, established along the tribal agreements of the Iroquois Constitution. We we actually divided North and South Carolina up amongst separated and accepted tribal lands of division. That's how the states got their shape. It's kind of weird, isn't it? Um, well, I was just thinking you just got tired of those people in the Southern Cal- you know, Carolina area and just said, y'all just go away. Have you ever seen a <laughs> South Carolina driver? <laughs> I, I try I, not to. <laughs> I try not to denigrate any state amongst the 50, the 50 united beautiful states of America. But really, South Carolina drivers... That's why that border exists. Somewhere above Gaffney, we decided, no, they cannot drive. Forget it. (laughs) Everything south of this land is lost automotively. (laughs) But, okay, you know, comparisons of the two colonies of Caroline aside, the thing that really kind of sticks with you is that we have a terrible history of exploiting indigenous people in this country. And this is kind of, and it should be, if you are an indigenous person, this is kind of a wake-up call that uh, the white man has lost his mind again, and this is the stuff that we can expect for the next 10 years. Uh, how How do you talk to those native communities and say, you know what, we're gonna find those kids and, and everything's going to be cool. Or, or do we just admit that, hey, you know what? You're right. God help us all. True? Yeah. Uh, you, you know, this is a, if you want long-term change on this, you, you have to have a difficult discussion. And 
you have to go with with the open arms, as Journey sang, um, and say, you know, look, we have to do better. We must improve. And that's for the betterment of this country, for the betterment of this world. We, ha- we have to have a better understanding of each other. And, and we also have to remember that there's even indigenous aspects of religion that, that, the, that us whites have done to each other. I mean, you go back to the Salem witch trials. You go back to you know, uh, saying that you know, even when immigrants who looked like us came over here in the early parts of the 20th century, no Irish apply for jobs. No Italians. Um, yeah, it was a line it, it, that, of exactly. whiteness that we had to move. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And the same thing have gone for for Catholics. I mean, I mean, this is you know, this is an ongoing pattern that 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 we have done to ourselves and to those who don't look like us. Um, not to mention the ongoing co- conversation about women. And I mean, this is I mean, this is an onion. This is a very large onion. Okay, and can, I say that because it has layers, yeah. not because it makes me cry or it stinks or any of that stuff. Well, but, it does you know. me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Which onion we're looking at? But the tears. I I just want to sum this up in a statement because I want one last story before we run out of time. But I'm going to sure. sum this up in a statement and agree or disagree. White men suck. For the most part, yeah, I gotta agree with you on that one. Yep. Okay, moving to the next story of white men that do suck. Um, <clears throat> this is a very interesting little scenario that I pulled up from the the, the news. Because this guy was a guy that everybody accused of sucking long ago. Oh, he was when it came to presidents. The worst. And I'm talking about George W. Bush, who you in Texas have a very special connection to, not just because of the airport, huh? (laughs) No. uh, Well, yeah, he was governor from 95 to well, to when he took office as president in two thousand one, and let's uh, not forget the Texas Rangers. Yeah, he owned the Texas Rangers for for a time and traded away uh, Sammy Sosa before he became a big star and uh, did steroids and whatever else. But uh, that should have been, yeah. by the way, everybody's clue of how bad his presidency would go. He goes, "You traded Sammy Sosa? Oh, we are screwed." <laughs> That's right. But we are uh, done. pack it up, guys. We are out. <laughs> he uh, he actually grew up in West Texas in a place called Midland when his dad was owning uh, some oil oil out here and doing oil b- b- before they moved to uh, Houston. But um, anyway, yeah, the story going on here is that you know he uh, um, bought some pizza and had a little pizza party for his uh, for his Secret Service agents because you know they're part of the federal government and they aren't getting paid. So I mean, look, um, we'll we'll. History look back on those eight years of, of of the Bush years and be kind to him. With the current president, uh, yes, I think that yes, the answer to that question is yes. When we compare President Bush to to President Trump, um, there's no question that President Bush is much more presidential and statesmanlike than President Trump. And I think a lot of Republicans would say that too. But when you get down to the eight years of analysis of that, you're going to get divided opinion about what happened and whatever was good and all that sort of thing. That's that's always fair fair game. But but uh, I, I want to go ahead that. and throw this out there that the Canadian air traffic controllers are more presidential than our current president <laughs> because Drew, <laughs> in kind of a story that resembles what George W. Bush did this week, Canadian air traffic controllers decided, hey. 
We've got free health care, eh? We don't need to worry about paying for that like those stupid Americans. I mean, <laughs> Americans. Don't call them stupid. They haven't figured out health care yet. Um, air traffic controllers, Canadians with all the money they save by not paying for their own health care, uh, decided to send air traffic controllers in the United States who are working without pay right now the very same offering of pizza. And Drew, the bad thing is, is now we've ran out of time and oh, we've no. got to leave on a positive note. This week, ladies and gentlemen, hopefully we've proved to you pizza saved the world. Go pizza. Uh, go pizza. Drew, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Shaggy. Hey, until next week, everybody, take care of yourselves. And, and you know what? Eat some pizza in solidarity. Love you, mean it. Kate, and bye.